Welcome to So Many Bits. I'm your host, Bill Nielsen, and joining me once again from this palatial secret office space in a... Oh, I, I, I can say it's in Chicago. It's in Chicago. It's Shelby Mongan. Shelby, how are you? I thought we were in Seattle. Is that what I was hearing in the background? The sound of the sea and the addles? No, I thought... I mean, that too, yes, of course. I, I thought I, w- I was hearing the sound of tossed salad and scrambled eggs. Oh, I have... I regret bringing it up, honestly. Maybe I seem a bit confused. But I think I've got you pegged, Shelby. <laughs> Damn it. I'm good, I guess. Slightly worse now, but otherwise I'm good. How are you, Bell? I'm good. I just don't know what to do with that. Uh, I'm doing really good. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> this is a train we could keep following. You can, I mean, you can keep there, going. Listen. There's only so many lines in the in the song, though. So, like, after a, after a little bit more... We'll be at the end. It's like you're a dog named Eddie, right? Was that the name of the dog? That is the name of the dog, yes. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You got it. (laughs) I reference good. Not wittily, but I did get it factually correct. And as we all know, factually correct is the only thing that matters. One of my all-decade tweets is a picture of The Undertaker, the WWE wrestler, and, uh, you know, Undertaker looks like a man in his 50s now. So, like, there's, like, a picture of him, like, sweaty and red-faced and kind of sallow. And it's it's titled, like, Oh, Niles, you've really done it this time. <laughs> Is it sad that I know exactly what picture of Undertaker <laughs> you're talking about without even knowing the tweet? <laughs> like, without even thinking about the tweet, I know exactly what picture you're talking about. Good old Undertaker. I've always had a soft spot for him. Because I, I love the trope of, like giant man is scary and intimidating but secretly he's soft and a good soft small or small soft boy on the inside and i have just decided that the undertaker was like that it's super not true that, yes leave that to your imagination it's not true at all but i love the idea and so i've always weirdly had a soft spot for him granted this also comes from a time where i had a huge crush on randy orton because i didn't Ugh. know what taste was um Ugh. I mean, newer Randy Orton at least, but still. We used to have a coworker who had Lord. wrestling figures on her desk and allegedly dated one of the wrestling figures on her desk. Not the actual figure, but the wrestler. <laughs> no, she dated the only, the figure. No, that was not allegedly. She definitely did. Huh. Someone who was a former uh, amateur wrestler. Yes. As most wrestlers are. Yes. By, by yes. For the strategy. Yes. Yes, um, yes, this is, a, this is a reference that will pin who the wrestler was. It's not as obscure as my last, uh, some of my references in our last podcast, my last appearance, but still pretty specific. Yeah. Um, a wrestler who I saw wrestle at his like, second to last amateur show, as a matter of fact. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Before he went pro. Yeah, yeah, they weren't allowed to film it. It was for an amateur league. They weren't allowed to film the show because... Or they were allowed to film the whole show, but they didn't film his match specifically because, despite the fact that he was supposed to be like the banner like match, because he had signed with WWE and was not allowed to be published with their stuff. But I got to see him hmm. wrestle when I was a freshman. Wow, that's really 
kind of a special occasion. It was cool. It was one of his last shows. It yeah. was here, actually, in the this undisclosed. Well, you can say the location area. of the the wrestling. Actually, show. beautifully, it was at one of the jankiest places in the entire city of Chicago, which is the Congress Theater, <laughs> um, which they no longer allow people to enter because it is insufficiently safe to exist inside. <laughs> um, but I've seen many a show there and saw a wrestling match there back in, that would have been 2009 or 10, somewhere around there. Awesome. Well, then I think it's best if I ask, hey, Shelby, what you playing? Well, Bill, since I have been here, I actually played a new game. I, I don't know why I thought you were gonna push a sound button like a like a like a sound bar that you don't have. This remote control that is in this secret office was totally going to reveal a soundboard. Yeah, I was thinking you had a. I don't know why my brain was. That's how tired I am. I'm just like your brain. You had a soundboard. How can why that was perfect that you set that up. I'm an idiot. It's fine. So I did play a new game. Um, actually, I've played two new games. I'm breaking everything. You know what it is? It's because Overwatch specifically is sort of infuriating recently and so i've been branching out to play other games why i've never felt like you get that frustrated playing overwatch ever so this is like a new experience for me yeah part of it is also that league season is we're we're in between league seasons so that Uh. kind of helps some of the hype and i just don't have the time to devote to it so i'm not focusing as much though i have hope sony is releasing a mod for their standard controller so you don't have to buy a fancy pro controller and you can add back buttons just it clicks on to the regular ps4 controller adds on back buttons to give you additional buttons to help with shooters i have hope i'm going to drop 30 bucks on it and see what it does i don't think it's going to make me a pro or a top five i can't be pro regardless i play console but i'm not going to hit top 500 but it might make a difference no, there are two games that I've played since we last chatted, um, one of which I have beat, and the other one is a slog, and I may never actually truly beat. <laughs> um, and I finished the new Pokemon game. Woo. So I, I got um, Shield, specifically, um, and I am fine with that mostly. The biggest difference is there's some Pokemon availability. There's a couple gym leaders, and then, of course, your legendary Pokemon is different. My gym leaders were better in, in Shield, but I think that the Shield legendary is mediocre. Mm. Because the sh- the sword legendary is a dog with a sword, which rules. Well, what's the Shield legendary? A dog with a shield neck, kind of. Oh, okay. That's that a lot worse. It's... It's fine. I have one. I love it. But, like, it's like a cousin. It's not one of my children. Yeah, you love all of your Pokemon, but some you love more than others. Yes. Empirically. Much like real children. Yes. (laughs) Um, And I, we, we were chatting about this before, and I think this is very true, that I do have this deep, deep affection for my Pokemon team. And even, and this is something I've always had trouble with in general with Pokemon and games like that. I always want my best friends to be with me, not necessarily the perfectly optimized team for the uh, gym or the challenge or whatever. So I played a little bit optimized, but mostly I kept the same core folks and loved them to death. So for those who are wondering who are Pokemon fans, I did what I do for every single Pokemon game because I am a sucker from Gen 1, from having my own copy of Red at home. Uh, I 
go with the grass starter. So I started with Garaki, which means that I got my sweet stoner drum playing boy Rila Boom eventually. And I love him more than I love most humans. And kind of built a team from there. I had a pipe dream of making an entirely Eevee team and just having Eeveelutions <laughs> to cover all a bunch of types and trying to make a balanced team that way. And like, you can do it, but it turns out it's a super bad strategy. So I stopped doing it. Huh. Um, I kept one Eeveelution on my team. Um, I still had a Sylveon with me. How many Eevees do you get in the course of a regular game? Well, Bill, it depends on if you're willing to farm the one section where the Eevees pop up. And well, they're in the wild. They are in the wild in this. Eevee, actually, and Pikachu as well, are bo- they're both in huh. the wild on this. Um, so there is one small section, which is notable because in that section you'll encounter two children who you can battle and one has an Eevee suit on and one has a Pikachu suit on. It's all plays off of the let's play or let's go, let's go Eevee and let's go Pikachu. Yes. Yeah. yeah Couldn't remember if it's let's play or let's go. So I farmed and you can also breed them too if you want to try to breed. If you can get two Eevees and breed them to get the babies. But then that's just a whole thing that I have no time for and patience for. I ended up, I think I have total like four or five evolutions right now. And eventually off farm, it's like a one and a half percent chance that they'll pop up in this area. So you can farm them. It's not too difficult, but yeah. So I love, I love my children. My beloved baby is my toxicity, my petulant air guitar playing teenager baby who sticks its tongue out all cute. But the thing that Pokemon Sword and Shield do really, really well on top of the fact that it's deeply accessible, the open wilds area and the raids are super fun they're actually a decent reason to pay for Nintendo Online, and they haven't given us a lot of reasons because, like, Super Smash Online, sorry, not Super Smash, but um, Super Mario Maker Online is, if you're especially playing multiplayer, aggressively laggy. There's some some good reasons, depending on what you're into, but Pokemon, the raids, and the big stuff is totally worth being online for. But they have a me- mechanism called camping. So you can, wherever you are, you can pop up a tent, you can camp with your Pokemon, you can talk to them, you can play with them, and then you can make curry for them, (gasps) which is its own little, like, skill mini game. Curry's really good. And you make different, so you have a curry deck on top of your Pokedex, you're trying to get different curries, and you get toys (laughs) if you fill up your curry deck. Of course, of course. But what's cool about that is when you camp, if you make curry, you increase and fill up the hit points um, and the, like, you you can refill your Pokemon, basically, instead of having to just go through potions um, like crazy. And there's so much personality in those moments. So when you make curry, after you go through the little mini game, you cut to your Pokemon watching you. You both have bites, watching you take a bite and see if you like it, and then you like it, and they get excited, and they have their little animation, and everyone gets it. Like, you can see everyone get excited. When you call a Pokemon over, everyone walks differently, and they all walk with such personality. My favorite is one of the dumbest Pokemon in this game. So they, it's a joke about British explorers. Okay. And British archaeologists specifically. Is it, so, is it called Livingstone? No, it's not called Livingstone. So there is, um, if you Google this, you can find it quite easily. There is a fossil, like a, a full, full dinosaur, I say in very large quotation marks, um, of a dinosaur 
that is so clearly two different dinosaurs stuck together. <laughs> like, just a gret that's super duper not a thing. It's very clear when you look at it. So this there's a Pokemon that is a joke about this. You bring someone two fossils from different parts of an animal and she will basically combine them into this weird dragon type Pokemon that has, and there's like four varieties of it. I've heard of this one, I think. Yeah. Dracofish. Yes, Dracofish, yes. So he looks ridiculous. The one that I had has this like giant ass head and weird middle body with where a tail should be, but it's completely cleaved off. And when you're at camp and I call him and I named him, uh, (laughs) because that's about how I felt when I saw him. When he comes to you, he's got a big derpy smile and big derpy eyes, but he runs full speed at you. He's friggin' huge, and he comes so close into the camera, he literally fills up the frame of your television before he stands up and looks at you and is expected. Like, I jumped back the first time he ran at me. But he's giant and derpy and happy, and so it's not scary, it's just startling because he's so big and unwieldy. I need to make more than one play the curry for him. Or her. Actually, when you make the curry, whoever's sitting next to you, they'll display the kind of curry you make. And depending on the size of the Pokemon that you have as your main, like your first Pokemon, the plate will be bigger or smaller. So if I had a little tiny one, it's a little tiny baby curry for them and a regular for me. But when I cook with my Dracovich, it's friggin' tall tower. It's so good. It's those little things, right? So when people were complaining about Sword and Shield not having all new animations for the battle sequences across the board... And then I play this game and you see the richness, the tiny, the tiny choices that they made, the little things, the little decisions, sizing the curry to the Pokemon, right? The animations of them doing things, the little pieces, the little bits. It's, it's a wonderful game. It is so much fun. Um, Also, if you play it, the gym leader music. So when you are fighting the gym leaders, especially the last phase, right before you Dynamax your Pokemon, the music that plays around the gym leader gets so aggressively stuck in my head, and it's so good. My husband yelled at me because I was playing it too loud on repeat while I was playing a normal game. I was like, I just want to get hyped. <laughs> um, it's really, really good. Even if you've never played Pokemon before, it is attainable. My only suggestion is go look up a – just find a JPEG of someone that has written out the type – compatibility so what is strong against and what is weak against and just keep it on your phone so you can reference it that sounds really useful although from what i understand there is a feature in the game where you'll uh it'll remember type advantages right as you build them up yeah so if you have fought the pokemon before it will remember them so it'll show you average like super or effective super effective not so effective completely not effective I think your advice is good. I just thought that was neat. It's super helpful. It really, it it smooths over a lot. I ran into needing the, um, if I didn't remember a Pokemon's type off the top of my head um, or didn't remember the advantages, if I was throwing someone different into a battle, that was where they don't tell you. But like when you're just fighting someone, it is very useful. They'll they'll just fill in the blanks. They, They clearly wanted to make a Pokemon game that lots of people would play. And I think if you even vaguely like RPGs, even if you don't, like the grinding is not that hard. There's really not that much grinding to do. There's lots of Pokemon. There's lots to see. I didn't, it wasn't that long of an investment, but you can spend a lot more time with it. Um, It's 100% worth picking up. Awesome. I'm glad to hear that. I mean, yeah, I've heard 
a bit of the backlash, but I've seen so many people playing Pokemon on my Switch. Like, you know, when when you're buddies with people on your Switch, you see, like, what games they're playing or if they boot up a game, what it is. And so many people playing Sword and Shield. Like, I looked one day, and, like, ten people were playing games, and, like, eight of them were playing Pokemon. It's been, I think, a huge success among at least people I know. It's really – it's quite fun, and it's worth getting. I think if you're worried you're not enough of a Pokemon stan – don't if you think it might even vaguely be up your alley it's worth it um the other game i played and i won't go into this in depth because i haven't beat it but i do think it's worth talking about is a big can a lot of folks mention this as kind of a sleeper honor honorable mention for game of 2019 and that is the game baba is you which is a little hard to describe baba is a sheep you are a little sheep that runs around and you are trying to get to a goal you're just trying to get to the flag. But the key for Baba is you, the challenge with it is that some of the, so all of the instructions, you are, so Baba is you, flag is win, wall is stop, key is open. All of those things are on the screen and some of them you can interact with directly. So it becomes not a platformer, but it becomes a combo like brain teaser puzzle and a slide game to try to figure out how to get everything to work. Um, I am a notorious uh, cheater. (laughs) I love looking up walkthroughs. I'd rather just play the thing. I like interacting. I don't really, I don't, I'm not inclined to work hard and spend a bunch of time figuring something out, but I bought Baba's You. My husband and I sat down, we started playing and we did we spent like two or three hours playing trading off the controller trying things out taking our time we looked up only one of the levels and i think we played 20 levels we only looked up the solution for one and i'm still not convinced you would have ever gotten there (laughs) um it's it is hard it is a hard game but it is so inventive and interesting and like the feeling of euphoria when you figure out a puzzle is so intense. Um, it's really, really satisfying. It's also very cheap. I think it's in an indie bundle you can get, but it's also just like 10 or 15 bucks on Switch. It's on Steam. It's, Baba Yu is really, really, really interesting. And if you, fu- if you like puzzle games and you like like word teasers or riddles or things like that, it is a very good port that kind of puts it in an interesting physical space. I've heard the logic you use to solve the puzzles compared a bit to coding. Yes, totally. Yeah, you have to think you have to think about the implications of what you're doing and you're thinking about concrete inputs and outputs and how you put them together and how you link phrases and stuff like that. It is is interesting. Like, hypothetically, there could be a situation where it's, like, wall is brick, and you could change it to be, like, wall is door, and then, like, walk through the wall. Yep. Literally, one of the solutions is changing wall is stop and pushing stop out of the way. (laughs) And so wall is no longer stop, so you can just walk over it. There's lots of ones where you're floating, so you could float over water, but water is sink, so if you stop floating, like, there's just lots of layers. And there's sometimes there's things that are unattainable, so you know, I can't touch the fact that, you know, that crab is is die. Um, so if I touch a crab, I die. I can't change that, so I have to work around that parameter. It's really, really interesting. It gets complicated, 
And I say I don't think I'll ever finish it because it's so hard that I have to be in the mood to sit down and like work on a puzzle, you know, and like a hard puzzle. And I'm not always in that mood. But if you are, it's a fantastic game. That is the not to dissuade people necessarily, but that's the thing that kept me away from it. And like what I'd heard other people describe is like it is hard and you don't always feel like super satisfied when you solve a puzzle. Like sometimes it'll feel like, ugh. Yeah. Rather than, hey. But there's, I will say there's so many puzzles and you can just, you immediately can just shift to the next one that even the euphoria is still short lived because there's other puzzles to do. Hmm. I would suggest like, I think the fact that I played it, that my husband and I played it together and that we're both sitting there trying things out and trading the controller back and forth. And that was a really fun way to do it. I think I would have gotten frustrated much faster if I'd played by myself. So I would suggest if you have a friend or a partner or someone that really likes puzzles, that it's worth, that might be a fun thing for a couple of hours of entertainment. And 15 bucks for, you know, a couple of hours at least, even if you don't finish the game, is still worth the price of admission. Yeah, I think that's a good value proposition right there. Yeah. yeah. So it's fun. It's it's also retro and looks nice. And it's a, it's a, great, it's a lot of fun. Hmm. I like uh, the sheep. Hmm. Hey, Bill, what are you playing? Well, Shelby, the, uh, the main thing I've been playing lately and have beaten is control yes i want to hear about this good because yeah i think i have uh some uh pretty good takes on control here some nice and hot and spicy takes i'm glad to talk about control because uh there were things i liked a lot about it and things that maybe i didn't like so much and uh i can start out with the good so uh i guess before i do that control is like a behind the back third person shooter actiony type platformer kind of some metroidvania stuff going on because there'll be areas you can't get to until you get certain uh, powers that you assume throughout the game you're playing as jesse faden who is a uh, handsome woman who uh, visits the bureau of control for the first time ever and she's there because she's trying to find information about her brother who apparently has something to do with the bureau and when she shows up she gets let in uh, she goes to see the director of the bureau, and the director has shot himself in the head. And Jesse is now the director of the Bureau of Control. That's my greatest nightmare. <laughs> murder and responsibility. Mostly the responsibility part. The murder I could take or leave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they're, they're both bad in different ways. Yeah, but one's worse. <laughs> And uh, Jesse, though, she rolls with it. She is uh, willing to become the director. And she has shown up at a pretty bad time, honestly. In fact, uh, the entire... What with all the murders and such. On top of the murders, even, there is a uh, plague going through the, the Bureau called the Hiss. And like 90, 95% of all the people who work there have been taken over by it. You'll see a lot of them like floating in the air. Just suspended in the air. With, as you do. Yeah, right. as you do. And then other times they'll be just completely controlled and puppeted and they'll try and shoot you with guns and like throw things at you. And you have to work with the last few survivors of the Bureau to try and get things back in order because the Bureau of Control is kind of like, a, let's go with like Warehouse 13. Okay. I think there are other more uh, well-known references, but yeah, it's like a supernatural spooky place where a lot of 
supernatural spooky objects are kept and people are there are trying to like document them and make sure they don't get out into the regular world and mess things up for regular people. I was going to say that that's also the librarians, but those are actually in the same universe, I think. I believe those two, those are, there's something else that's in the same universe as Warehouse 13. Maybe that's Eureka. Oh, oh we're, Warehouse 13, okay. Yeah, Eureka's in the same universe as Warehouse 13, maybe? One of those two. Something in that confluence. I'm not saying real things, but The Librarians is a very similar premise. Gotcha. Have you seen that show? No, I've, I've barely seen Warehouse 13. That's true. That's fair. Uh, same sort of premise, though, of like, the librarian's job is to take artifacts and supernatural things and protect them and keep them from other people and stuff. It's a trope. It's a thing that happens. Cool. Uh, so a thing that happens in control is you have to uh, run around to the different departments in the bureau and like kind of solve problems that have popped up, kill lots of bad guys by shooting them in the face. Uh, you know, typical, typical action stuff. Yeah. And uh, so the good things about this game are I really enjoy the way in which it's presented. Okay. I think that there is uh, some good uh, like direction on the cutscenes, even the in engine cutscenes where it's like you know just you and another person talking. Like the different camera angles are like filmic, cinematic, and I appreciate that. Yeah. There is lots of different uh, documents and audio logs you can dig up, which contextually here actually makes sense it's not like you know when you're playing the space game and this like janitor is like well i'm gonna keep my audio diary of all the weird stuff that happens right. today uh, i mean i like them no matter how they show up but yeah. i mean i love some additional non-required lore building but it is nice when they do feel like it's not additional non-required lore building it's legitimately snippets of the world right and like in the theme of the universe like lots of information you find is redacted which, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. And that kind of like adds to the allure of a lot of the different like things you find because you're like, wait, what happened here? Right. How did this happen? Like lines will be like, you know, blacked out huh. of like certain key details of a story, which adds to the intrigue. Is the Bureau evil? Is that like the implication that the Bureau is evil? Well, I don't you... know how much you can say without spoiling, right? But like, I'm curious about the vibe of: Are they just a shadowy government agency? Agency, or are they? Is there something nefarious? And this is like a dystopian. Plot? Do you do you find there is inherent morality and bureaucracy? I mean, that's a complicated question. So I guess that kind of answers what I'm asking. Yeah, it's like it's yeah. not really good or evil. It's a federal agency. Yeah, that's right. So, okay. so it is a how you feel about that agency. will yeah. okay. map okay. onto how you feel about the Bureau of Control. Interesting. Cool. And there are there are story elements, and I'll get into this a little later. Where like I was like, huh? But <clears throat> yeah, generally they're not evil people. Okay. Uh, and so yeah, but yeah, is your as you're moving around the world, you're finding all these different uh, in-universe, contextually appropriate, like, logs and documents. There are surreal, like, Lynchian elements, at least. I haven't watched Twin Peaks. I'm told they are Lynchian. No, this seems, it sounds very Lynchian from your descriptors. I can see that. And that's one thing that the Remedy Studio that made this game is really good at, is, like, they are good at the presentation of their universes. Like, I felt like they did a really good job with that in Alan Wake. And it continues here, like... Uh, oh, it's that studio. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. They made a set of puppet shows that you can find as, like, video recordings throughout the 
office where they're like meant to help children understand like what the bureau does in like ways that they'll grok it's like there's the first one you find is like what happens when mommy doesn't come home that's so funny i love those little touches also there's a real ass music video in there yes late in the game you can find a music video and I forget. So uh, they managed to uh, reuse some of the actors from Remedy's other games. So Alan Wake, I believe, is the person who performs the music video. That's amazing. I There's something I find weirdly charming about in a video game when you can go and watch an entire... Even if it's a music video that's three minutes long, going to watch something entirely that is completely unnecessary to it tickles me to no end. It's good. It's like... I appreciate it if they don't make it mandatory too. Like, yeah. On one hand, you, yeah, you'll miss it, but I have more respect for the developer when they trust the player to find it or not be broken up about not finding it. Yeah, if you find it, like the people that are going to find it and watch it are going to be stoked that they found it, and the people that aren't going to look for it were never going to be happy to be forced to watch it in the first place. But it does. It just makes the world. So it does to me. It just does two things. It makes the world feel richer and more actually alive because if i see a snippet of something you know that someone put together a clip of a tv show for a movie that's supposed to play during a scene i know that clip is two minutes long long enough for it to be in the background but it's not from a full show so getting to see something that exists in its entirety in this world is like cool and feels very lived in and it also gives you a little bit of agency of your experience where like, oh, I kind of want to watch this. Like, I want to dig a little bit more and be more in this world. So I'm going to watch this thing. I would totally, when I saw the puppet shows for the first time, I would totally start trying to find all of them and sit and watch them in their entirety. It would make my playlist go a lot longer, but it would be worth it. And I think they do, yeah, in addition to this, these documents and these videos, they do a good job of making you want to explore the entire bureau. Yeah. Like there are lots of side quests you can find along the way that are not, not required to fi- finish the main story, but they have interesting payoffs. Like uh, there's one involving an evil question mark refrigerator. Uh, wait, wait, sorry, sorry, I'm sorry, refrigerator? Well, yeah, so if you you can't... If you start looking at a refrigerator, you can't stop looking at it or you uh, disappear. What? Yeah. This sounds like Night Vale more than anything. <laughs> what? Th- that's... This refrigerator specifically or all refrigerators? Oh, just this one. Okay. Just this one. It, it, that one you find in like the extremely dangerous artifacts area. They're, all, they're called oh, artifacts okay. of power, by Bill, the way. Bill, you could have started with that. Because I'm just picturing a regular-ass refrigerator in a break room. Oh, well, it's not like that. But sometimes, they're, yeah, they're like part of the universal bureaucracy, though, is like they have to be careful with these artifacts. Sure. And, like, you can't bring things into the bureau, and you have to be careful about knowing which things are, you know, which magical things? objects. Yeah, that... yeah. Oh, you're going to have to spoil that mission for me later. Sure. I yeah, want I can... to hear what that is. But that's so does the brother tie back into the larger story? He does. Uh I'll get to that a little bit later. Okay. Uh so the other good thing I like about the game is the the combat is pretty fun. It's oh, uh not like a lot of other action-y games of this generation where it's like cover-based. I mean there is cover, but it's like a little more organic hmm. and you uh like either are running around a lot and shooting folks because uh, 
anytime you kill an enemy, they drop health. Oh, sure. Okay. Which, which promotes more action, more aggression, so you can like keep getting charged up. Right. And as you go, you're gathering more powers, and you get a skill tree of different powers you can use in battle. So like, there's the launch ability, which honestly, most of the time is better than your gun, where you just like pick up stuff and yeet it at the enemies. You can also like, uh, as you level up the ability, you can uh, grab rockets out of the air that are being shot at you and throw them back, or even like pick up weakened enemies and chuck them at other enemies. Ah, that sounds awesome. I might have to just play this game. It's it's really good. It uh, sounds really fun. And, and like you you get other powers throughout the game. Uh, there's one where you can like mind control enemies and they'll do fighting for you. Uh, there's a uh, one that I think is. Well, it, it's a somewhat of a plot point, and it's pretty awesome. So I'll leave that one in the bank. But the powers are cool, and it it feels fun as you gather them throughout the game. Hmm. So what well, then? What are the drawbacks for you? Well, the drawbacks are uh, with the combat. First of all, there are mods you pick up throughout the game, and this feels like kind of an extraneous element to gameplay, where you are uh, enemies are dropping different rarities of mods as you go like common uncommon rare and you know whatever yeah and they give you different randomized stat bonuses they'll be like plus 10 percent damage or plus five percent health or more specific than that they'll be like you use less energy when you use the launch or throw ability your seize or mind control time takes like eight percent less Stuff like that. Just granular granular modifications. Is it stacking over time as you get those mods, or is it whatever one you have set it? Usually time? it's just like whatever one you have set. And then as you grow your skill tree, you also unlock more mod space. Mm-hmm. And you will unlock better mods as you go, too. So there, sure, but... But I don't feel like it's not really uh, an element of the game that's necessary. Sure. Like, you... I mean, you do kind of need to stop every now and then, like every couple of hours or so yeah. to like re reset and like, okay, swap out all these uncommon mods for all like the better mods I've just picked up here and there over time. Right. And like, I think it's meant to give you more incentive to do the side quests and like, there'll be like, uh, randomly generated side quests too, where it'll be like, oh, the, the corrupted hiss agents are attacking the the generator go defend the generator for five minutes you know stuff like that right which didn't feel important or uh, interesting to play it sounds like when it's a game it seems like it's digging really interestingly into its story randomly generated just like enemy mow down like mob scene just sounds yeah it sounds boring i it sounds like it also this mod thing is this is a combo of both compulsory in in an unpleasant way and also not necessary in an unpleasant way which sucks because there's a way to do either direction yeah um where it's like so important for you to spend the time to really min max and utilize those or you can just get away with completely ignoring it but if it's like this extra burden that sucks another kind of burden that's laid on you and this one is unavoidable is the load times in this game are atrocious. Really? And uh, I guess I should also just tack on here. Uh, you really can't play this game on a regular PS4. Do you need a pro for it? You really need a pro for this. Like, Never mind. It kind of chugs on a PS4 Pro. And uh, over Thanksgiving, I, I went to visit my, my dad, and he actually has a PS4 there. 
So I played on his and it was like really, really rough in certain spots. Like, wow. It has to do, I think with like managing the physics of like certain like collisions. And if you have a bunch of enemies on screen, like, yeah, if you're getting shot at by guards and you use the launch ability to pick up something from the ground, sometimes it'll like, if there's nothing convenient that that's throwable, it'll like rip up a piece of uh, uh, concrete to use. That's cool. It is cool, but it does happen to really, really cause the game to like seize up if you try and do that in the regular PS4 edition. Right. So, th- so here's my question, and this is kind of a noob question, but I think I think you'll know what I mean. Does it feel unique or complex or extraordinary enough to warrant the load times and the chug? More so than a game like, I don't know, like Borderlands or Dragon Age or something else that's like expansive, open-worldy, interactive? I think, not for me personally, no. I think it's a, uh, it's the physics and like the collision effects that are causing all the performance issues. And, like, I guess on higher-end PCs, it's capable of, like, uh, doing ray tracing, which is sure. honestly something I know nothing about. I just know it's, like, the new Invoke thing. Like, oh, can you do ray tracing with your computer? So I know bits and pieces about it, not enough to speak eloquently by any means. Um, but it just – so I, the reason why I ask is because I'm willing to tolerate mediocre performance or slightly less – good quality graphics or something like that to play something that is engaging and that is either unique or complex enough to warrant the chug. But if it doesn't feel that distinct, then part of me is like, like to what end, right? Did you want me to play it? Cause if you make it unplayable on the console I have and still moderately unpleasant on a console, I can't, I don't have like, What's your what's your end game? Especially putting it out now before five comes out. Like, right. I wonder if they had just waited if they had put it on five if it would have been more um, if it would have had better performance. Maybe so. Yeah. I mean, as it stands, the a lot of times are really rough, especially because like when you get uh, reloaded, like if you die, there are checkpoints you find throughout the game, and like you get loaded back to the last checkpoint. Mm-hmm. So it becomes really tedious if you're having trouble with a certain fight because like yeah. you'll die. It'll take like a minute to a minute and a half for the game to reload. Oh wow. And then you'll get loaded to your last checkpoint and you might have to like run through a big chunk of real estate to get back to where you were. Right. And you might even get ambushed by like a random encounter along the way. Cause like enemies will respawn right. throughout the bureau as you play. And usually you can just run away from those. Like if you're just not feeling it, but it's still annoying. Yeah, that's fair. So yeah, that was a, uh, Usually it was fine because I wasn't dying that much, but like near the end of the game, they really, really pour on like the number of enemies and like they, I was talking about how it's not a cover-based shooter, but sometimes you need to like, you know, run behind a pillar so you can like kind of take a breather. They really get into the habit of dropping you in an area where there's no cover and you can get surrounded on all sides by enemies. And those are pretty tough. Yeah. And you die a lot and it's really, really annoying to have to uh, respawn. That sounds tedious. Like the second to last section of fights in the game where you're like going through like three or four waves of enemies. Like I I uh, spent like two hours on that part and I was very, very unhappy to do it. I was close to being just like, forget it. Yeah. We're, we're just not going to beat this game. Yeah. And I was playing on normal. 
Yeah, that's tough. That's this sounds like a game that I would just play on easy because the story sounds interesting. But yeah, if I wanted tedious, multiple deaths and like unnecessary combat frustration, I would just play Sekiro. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I think you kind of have to advertise or make the difficulty of the game a very uh, integral feature if you want to go that way. If you're just, like, maybe not doing a great job of, like, balancing the game or, like, creating a gradual curve of complexity, then it can lead to some tough times. I I wish that AAA titles and, like, that sort of similar level, I wish they were willing to, and I I 100% get why they aren't, Hashtag capitalism. But I wish that they were more willing to play to a more niche audience. Because I'm not saying I want, like, telltale, like, visual novel style story games necessarily. I mean, I do. But that's not all I want. But with a game like Control, it sounds like I wish they had either made an interest, a game that is of interesting combat with some cool story. Or something with a really intriguing story that, like, either had some combat or some way around it. I feel like when you try to please both parties and have some challenging combats and lots of waves and this sort of development thing and a really complex story, it's so hard to do both. And most of the time people that want one don't necessarily want the other at the same time. And that sucks. And that's why it is good. one of the many reasons. There are lots of reasons. One of the many reasons why it's good to have difficulty settings on a game like this. Because, yeah. yeah, if I get this, I am 100% putting it on the most like filthy casual possible level because I don't want to deal with tedium. I'm pretty sure I could have dropped it down to easy on my end as well. I was just... Principled. Yeah. Well, that's one word for When you get started... It's a nice word for it. I get when you get started like bashing your head against a wall. It's hard to (laughs) not... Seriously, it's hard to not be like, I want to defeat this jerk that is trying to defeat me back. So Mm. I get it. Uh, But do you... So do you recommend the game? Do you think? I cautiously recommend it because uh, so the combat is entertaining but a bit flawed and the story so I didn't think the story was that good oh it's a bummer and this is actually it's a little bit maybe I'm biased or maybe it's just like coincidence it feels a lot to me like how Alan Wake did where a lot of the things they did on how they presented the story were really entertaining but uh, how the actual story went wasn't that interesting to me. And it feels like that uh, yeah. here in Control as well. And Bad script, good director. Yeah, that that's maybe a good way to put it. Uh, part of it, you know, I, I never watched Twin Peaks. And this, like, their remedy is very, very big fans of Twin Peaks. There's a, as part of like the, you know, this is not a huge spoiler. One of the things you do in the game is like to travel between different parts of the bureau. Mm-hmm. You have to... Uh, teleport to a hotel which is like some kind of subspace dimension yeah and then you have to solve a small puzzle in the hotel to get dropped back where you need to be yeah and like it didn't you know detract from the game for me it was like oh this is weird a little bit all right sure we'll do this thing but it wasn't like oh control you wacky game you yeah like it just didn't do anything for me, is, yeah, the, right. is the way I put it. And that part, you know, like I could take or leave that. But the story, I just didn't really vibe with Jesse that much. Yeah, she's not like a bad person, and I think like her 
performance like vocally and the way they like animate her is fine i just didn't get like the point of her character arc Mm -hmm. like she's she's there to do some stuff and i can tell you more about it off mic yes but i didn't really get some of the ways that she some of the choices that she made by the end of the game i was like that's how you're going with this well okay I, i guess all right sure and you asked about dylan well i don't think they really did justice by dylan this I think there's a way to do narratives and games and like narratives period really where you are identifying with a character and then the character makes a decision that you wouldn't make and you can see how they went there but games in particular when you're like when you're moving the person but you're not making their choices um, there's an interesting way to have that interaction nothing will sit with me as powerfully as finishing the last of us and hearing joel say the things that he says to ellie at the end of the game and going you idiot i've been playing you why don't i get a chance to make this decision and that like dissonance and the things that that narrative brought it was really really cool and intriguing and interesting so i think there's a way of like why did you do that like that you can do well, but it does not sound like this was one of those things. Yes, I I would not wish to imply that like Jesse or other characters have to do either exactly what I'm thinking sure. or want them to do to like make the story good. But you know, you asked about like is the Bureau of Control good? Like eh, some of the stuff they do seems pretty pretty bad. Right. Like they're you know there are good people there and sure. some not so good people. Like like the real government. Yeah, I think. But games are such a weird medium for that narrative space because even if it's you're just playing out a story, right? You don't they don't have to make the choices you want to make, but also you're making them make literally every other choice of what power to use and who to punch and what button to open and what thing to read. Like you're controlling everything about them. And so I think there has to be really solid execution when it comes to the narrative portion where you have no control over them. Um, and if it doesn't feel earned or interesting or part of the character and you don't really buy it, um, as you're from within, like animating their limbs, um, (laughs) it's a, it's a challenging middle space to be, especially when it sounds like something like a game like this sounds like it is, it is trying to be for the story, right? Like it sounds like that is their goal. My, here's my general emotional arc for like the last two hours of the game. Okay. All right. We're go- this is where we're going. Okay. All right. All right. All right. What? What? What's going on here? Huh? Ooh, that's cool. There is one cool moment. Yeah. Like right before, and then it's like, oh, okay, we're doing this. Okay. Okay. And we're done. Huh? That that was my emotional. That was yeah. It's just yeah. an end. Is it worth watching a let's play of even? Oh yeah, I think the bar for let's plays in my mind is much, is lower. much lower. And yeah, I would let's play this. There's fun stuff to see. Cool. I'll have to look this up. Yeah. Overall, uh, if I were recommending this game, I would say like you know. I wouldn't. Is probably. I would wait for it on discount, maybe. Yeah. Like uh, I think it has its moments, and if you are more of a Lynchian fan than I am, you may find more uh, to mine there than I did. That's fair. Are you playing anything else? I played a little bit of this game, Metro Exodus. 
Metro is a uh, series of first-person shooters that came out like in the last generation. And this third game is like meant to be the end of their uh, trilogy. And that is a game where like it's not like a rotten game, but it is a game that I would just not recommend because I didn't find it terribly interesting. Fair. Uh, coming in at least from the third game, it's a it's kind of a slowish first-person shooter. And it's got, like, stealth gameplay elements. I, I really don't like when first-person shooters feature stealth elements. That's, a, like, a real no-go for me. That's fair. And the story was, like, it had some interesting ideas. Like, early on, you're in nuclear winter uh, Russia. And, like, you're just, like, trying to survive. And, like, you're the radical ideologue who's like, there's life out there. We just need to go and find it. And you actually find out that, yes, the world... There is. Well, the world it was badly broken by nuclear holocaust, but it is recovering, and Russia has been under a blackout. And, like, everyone thought Russia was just gone because, like, yeah. people within Russia have been secretly working to conceal the, that anyone in Russia survived so they get left alone. That's so, that's so interesting. It's like, like a cool story constru- or construct. That felt pretty cool. Yeah. I asked... Like the gameplay didn't really want leave me satisfied enough or interested enough to like want to go through with it. Like uh, it's a little slow, and there's like I get what they're going for, where it's like when you're out in the world, you have breath filters. Okay. So you like you have to find ways to make sure you have breathable air Mm -hmm. while you're above the surface. If you go underground, you're safe, but if you're above, you have to have breath filters, and like you have to replace them every now and then. You have to make sure you have more. You have to find like bullets in older games the, there was an i think they took it out for this one bullets were the currency mm-hmm. which that was pretty interesting because like yeah you know you can choose to shoot or spend on something essentially right. that's yeah. interesting um but, but yeah it didn't meh. take but meh that's didn't fine take. not every game's gonna and uh, i'm not gonna get into it here more than just saying i've been playing fire emblem uh, if you listened to my podcast episode about the game of the year, games of the year 2019, you'll know I liked Fire Emblem a bit. Fire Emblem a bit, and I'll be back to talk about it more in the future. The distant future. In the year 2000 and 20, probably statistically yes. speaking, I imagine you're not going to wait a year to talk about Fire Emblem. No, I'm not. I'm not going to wait for it to loop around. To- 2000 yeah. either that no, seems yeah. excessive that's fair oh i deprived your audience i'm sorry audience i've deprived you of your overwatch corner oh there's not a lot happening like there's nerfs and buffs the game is in a really in-between place the league is a mess we've got a lot of top stars and a lot of um shoutcasters and analysts that are leaving the league this year oh. and there's a lot of potential drama with the way and like concern about the way their new setup is going to go. Um, it's just a very odd time to be an Overwatch fan. Hmm. Um, also, hmm. my beloved favorite team dropped almost everyone they had. That's the uh, Shanghai team? No, no, it's LA Valiant. Oh, uh, LA Valiant. Um, dropped pretty much everyone. Oh. And also changed their colors and did a huge pay cut and Basically, they just hired a bunch of young new guys, and I just don't care. So Hmm. the league has not been around long enough for me to not be fickle with my allegiances, so I have shifted. This year I will be rooting mostly for the Toronto Defiant. 
Let's go, Toronto. Yeah. Rise together. Um, but, you know, I think I'm just going to enjoy popping in and out of the league this year. Just not that committed. The game is in a very strange in-between place, and I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens when Overwatch 2 is more on the horizon and how people handle that. And, and if it gives new life to the game or if it uh, puts the last nail in the coffin. We'll find out. Well, Shelby, in spite of our best intentions, <laughs> I, think, I think we have gone about as long as we can go on wasn't as bad as playing. last time. It's not, pretty close, though. It's pretty close. Yeah. It's pretty close. Uh, so thank you so much for joining me again. I appreciate it so much. Uh, if you want people to uh, find you anywhere, where can they find you? If they look deep into their souls and they feel that like bubble of laughter that you feel as if the, your inner child is experiencing great joy, I can be found there. Wow. Also, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Shelby underscore Fawn. I post insignificant things and pictures and retweet artists and people that are much cooler and smarter than me. Get some nice gym selfies. There are occasional gym selfies, though the gym routine has changed. The selfies have mostly gone down because there's a lot of coworkers around and it's (laughs) weird enough taking a gym selfie by yourself, let alone with people that you work with. Yeah. Well, you know. Well, figure when out a way. In, Find a way. in Rome, you know. Duck into the dance room. Dance, duck into the studio so you can take a gym selfie after. It's just it's the whole gym. It's just a dance room. And then just cut to me as a gremlin hiding behind one of the cycling bikes. <laughs> yes. And as for us, we can be reached by email at so many bits podcast at gmail.com. Like us on Facebook. We're so many bits on there. Follow us on Twitter and Tumblr at so many bits. Subscribe to us on iTunes. Please rate and review or download from Simplecast or from uh, Spotify. You can stream on Spotify. We play games, twitch.tv slash so many bets, Wednesday and Thursday nights, 8 p.m. Central Time. If you want to listen to other great nerdy podcasts, so many bits plus others are at nerdalogs.com. So come give that a look. And last but not least, thank you very much for listening. Have a great summer. I just want to say